Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, uh, I'm going to start a sermon teaching, and this begins with a conversation that is so common in the body of Christ. I have heard people who say, why don't we, okay, they say, why don't we see miracles? Why don't we see the power of God demonstrated like we read in the early church, like we read in the days of Elijah, like we read in the days of Elisha, like we read, you know, in the times of Jesus when he walked the surface of his earth, like we read in the days of Peter, like we read in the days of Paul, like we read in the days of the disciples. You know, they had, you know, great testimonies. They did mighty exploits. How be it that in this dispensation or this time period in history, we're not seeing that as much. We're not seeing so much of that demonstration. We're not seeing so much of that power. We're not seeing so much of that expression of God's manifested presence as we used to see in the past, okay? And they're right to say so because there are people who have not seen it. And there are people who have lived their life of faith until death and they have never seen it, okay? One time we were in a healing meeting uh, in a crusade I believe it was a Gulu crusade where, you know, people were born, you know, mentally disturbed and stuff. People were, you know, even taken to rehab and they failed to restore them. And then two, three of them come through and since childhood, they were mad, okay? And they see these people come to sanity. They see blind eyes and deaf ears. And this person says, you know what? I have been a Christian since I was little. You know, I'm in my late 30s, but I had never seen a miracle with my bare eye, okay? And that's sadly scarcity of the real stuff, all right? And I'm not saying that God is not working across, no, but I'm saying that there are people who are in the body of Christ and have been born again Christians since they were little, and they've never seen a tangible miracle. They've never seen the tangible demonstration of the power of God with their very eyes. And of some probably have even given in their hearts to explore and prove these things, and some fell under the hand of conardists, okay? Some fell under the hand of deceptive people, crafty men who probably fake miracles or, you know, acting out parts. Yeah, that's happened. We've heard about it. We've perhaps seen it. Okay. And some, because of that experience, they dispel. They say, you know, I think this is not for us. Some, in fact, have even become so extreme as to say, you know, miracles are not for today. They were for that time, but not now. And then you ask them, can you show me a biblical reference to tell me or tell us that miracles are not today. No, they don't have one, but they go to a point of frustration because they try to prove a God that they could not prove or could not see being proved before the people that they tried to work with. And because of that, many of them disprove the whole idea of miracles. Many of them disprove the whole idea of signs and wonders. Okay. Because they do, that doesn't change the fact that God still works today. Is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And of course, in the same, you know, breath, we have a group of people who, because they have continuously tried to prove things touching the healing power of God and miraculous, and they failed to see it in their own personal lives. Okay, it's one thing to prove it on another. But it's also one when you don't see a healing in your personal life, you don't see a deliverance in your personal life, you tend to probably hear other people getting healed and delivered. How come I'm not getting healed and delivered? You know, and then you start to say, I don't think miracles really exist. And I'm not just talking about the miracle of healing, but of breakthrough and any other aspect of the miraculous, any other aspect of sign and wonder. And uh, some get so depressed about it, so frustrated about it that they choose to do every kind of thing, okay, to stay afloat, to stay alive, okay, to succeed and be well, all right, and ascribe that to the working of God because it easily can be explained in the realm of reason, okay, and many of them will never live past that level, past that place spiritually. For example, if they say, oh, you've been diagnosed with this, they know, okay, the only way this can be healed, say if you've been diagnosed with cancer, say, okay, the only way cancer can be healed is chemotherapy, 
right? And then they try chemotherapy. And if chemotherapy does not work, they cannot believe God for divine healing. So what happens? They say, you know, I think I've accepted it. I'm supposed to be dying because chemotherapy has not worked. And so, you know, they succumb. They write their will. They say bye to their friends, make peace, reconcile with those that they had fallen out with. And then they are buried. Okay, because they cannot believe anything beyond science. They cannot believe anything beyond biology. They cannot believe anything beyond human research and human ability. And we've lost many. But this goes also in different aspects. Like I said, I'm giving examples of health because that's a common one. You know, the three-chord attack on many people. In fact, all men in the world either are dealing with their sickness. Okay, If they're not dealing with sickness, they're dealing with uh, poverty, financial if you're not dealing with a financial issue, you're dealing with a relational issue, right? So that's the three-chord cast. There are three ways in which humanity is attacked. If you're not dealing with a health issue, you're dealing with a financial issue. If you're not dealing with a financial issue, you're dealing with a relationship issue. The devil knows that, and we even as Christians now, we know that, that those are the three areas that people are attacked. And so even when I'm using examples, I will again go around that, okay? If I'm not talking about health, I'll be talking about finances. If I'm not talking about finances, perhaps I'll be touching relationship because that's really the reality of things. So now we live in a world where Christians have invented doctrines, all right? Theologians, great scholars, you know, have libraries and have master's degrees and PhDs in theology, uh, and they have, you know, amassed all these kind of doctrines around science, miracles, and wonders, the miracle work power of God, when God works, when he does, and how this works, and how that does. And, and now the church is full of excuses. We are full of excuses. We are so sorry. We look so pitiful, all right, that even the people who look at us from the world perspective ask themselves, why are these guys Christians again? Because we have failed to match up to the challenges of our times, and yet science, biology, and all these other things, fields, uh, are giving solutions, all right? Some have an end of breakthrough where people are delivered, but some don't even have answers, okay? And I tell people that if you're suffering from a simple flu, normal simple flu, okay, you'll get vitamin C and, you know, drink well, sleep well, and that flu will go, all right? It's different from if you have been, say, diagnosed with leukemia, in its highest stages, and they tell you, no, this kind of disease nobody can fix, okay? And we are seeing Christians that are dying every day. And I'm trying to tell you that there is a way to be healed. There's a way to have an answer from God. There's a way to see the miraculous power of God working in your life. There is a way to activate this thing. God is still in the business of doing miracles financially, physically, relationship-wise, and any other way you would think or could ever imagine. But we need to know. And I'm saying that because I have the evidence of having seen God working through every aspect, whether you're talking of finances, whether you're talking of the miraculous power of God, we have seen God heal things in this ministry that science cannot explain, okay? We've seen God do things before our very own eyes that have to today have awakened us even deeply to the need for the world to know that our God is still in the business of working miracles. He's a miracle-working God. That's his nature. That is his way. And that is his expression of love for mankind. But now we have built many excuses, many reasons why this is not happening, why that is not happening, why this is not working, and we are sanctifying it with carnal doctrines, all right? And these things are passing in the body of Christ. The liberal believers are accepting them, the charismatics are accepting them, the Pentecostals are accepting them, and these things every other day are convoluting the whole idea of Christianity, that many people no longer know what it means to be born again, born of God, born of the Spirit, Right? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verses 20, he says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All right? God has made all the invisible things of him from creation to be seen. Everything invisible of God has been made visible for you to see. And he has brought the understanding of things made, even his eternal power and person, to humanity 
through the face of Jesus Christ, that now men are without excuse. What does this portion of scripture mean? This portion of scripture means that God has done all that is necessary for us not to doubt him, for us not to live a life that is short of what is expected of us to live. He has given everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When Jesus Christ came, died, and was raised into glory, God supplied everything we would ever need, and he has brought this revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners, spoke through the prophets of old and our fathers but now the Bible says has in these last days spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has made heir of all things and the same Christ which has made the world. Now he has spoken through the person of Jesus Christ. That means when we get to know who Jesus Christ is, everything invisible of the things that have been created, of his God's eternal power, even the Godhead, his particular person, are all expressed and have been spoken in the face and person of Jesus Christ. When we understand how or who Jesus Christ and what he does, how he operates, when we understand that, we will see that God has called us to a victorious life. The church is a triumphant matching church. It's not a church of failure. It's not a church of regression and digression. God has called the church to victory. And I want to show you how to walk, how to live that life. Okay, I want to show and share some aspects in this course that will open your eyes to understand how to live a miraculous life, how to walk in the life of the miraculous. All right? Let me begin this way. That today what people express as Jesus Christ, okay, is a very misrepresenting picture about him. And because it's a very misrepresenting picture about him, and that's the picture many people behold, all right? And many doctrines are built around that. And the power of God is short-circuited. The anointing of the Christ is frustrated to reach us. It does not mean that it's going to continue like that. No. Prophecy has spoken in time ancient. And in the last days, knowledge shall be increased, okay? The glory of God shall fill the earth as waters fill the sea. So we expect that the church is progressing every other day in a great knowledge and understanding of this thing, okay? And as we continue to see it, we'll see miracles, we'll see signs, we'll see wonders in our own personal lives, all right? Now, let me begin with Jesus, before I actually define you, let me begin with Jesus, all right? When I was searching and praying about this, the Holy Spirit started to share a very, very wonderful thing that I felt you must hear today. And I pray to God that I'm not speaking to your mind. This is a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. I want to speak to your heart presently so you hear the things that I'm saying. The Spirit of God began by expressing to me the times and ways in which the Christ fell short of his expectation to do a miracle right, to heal, to do a miracle. What were the times in history, in scripture, where Christ could not do a miracle, could not perform a miracle, could not do a wonder, could not express a sign? What were those experiences? Because it's important for us to separate truth from false teaching, okay, and doctrines of men and doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. Doctrines of destruction, because in the end, we are losing many people, many Christians that are dying to diseases that shouldn't kill them, are frustrated in finances where they should not be frustrated, our relationships are failing in times where the relationship should not be failing. And this is what I want to express. So the Spirit begins by telling me, look, first study the places in Scripture where the Christ couldn't or did not do a miracle, where he was demanded to do a miracle, okay? Because it's important for us to first see and understand why Christ could not do a miracle. Remember the Bible says that this is love made perfect, that we might have confidence on that day. For as he is, so are we in this world. The elevation of a New Testament believer has thrown you in a dimension where God is qualifying you to the measure 
of the Christ. That's the reason why you have the fivefold ministry, the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, that they might perfect the saints for the work of ministry to the edification of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why he expects the church to be so. As long as that is not achieved, the fivefold ministry will stay existent, but I see that God intends that we'll get to that end. We'll have the full measure of the stature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this is in the realm of knowledge. It's not so much in what God wants to do in your life through the person of Jesus Christ. It's what actually God has done, but you are not aware of. The teacher, the pastor, for how shall they know except they be a preacher, the pastor, the prophet, all this whole five or fourfold ministry, all of that has the end the intention to help you know what is already available for you. And as that comes through, you mature, okay? You come to the knowledge, okay? You come to the understanding. And when you do, what is already available for you is activated in your life. So we're not preaching to you of a thing that will come on you. We're preaching to you of a thing that is already on you, but you need to know how to work it out, how to make it work, how to live it and how to manifest it. In your life. Okay, so we go back to this expression that as he is, so are we. That's a reality. That's a truth in the spirit. That scripture cannot be broken. As Christ is, so are we in this world, right? We on earth, we are like Christ on earth. Okay? But when it comes to the heavenly, he exists, he's supreme, he's the head of the body. We are the body of Christ, right? We are the body of Christ. But on the earth, we are the true representative of Christ. When the devil looks at us, he sees Christ. All right? He doesn't see us separate from Christ because we are joined with him spiritually. All right? Now, let's begin with what I was trying to say. So God says, look, I want to alleviate of all excuse from anybody who will say, you know, I have an excuse of why I don't see healing. I have an excuse of why I don't see financial breakthrough. I have an excuse of why I don't see this. So he says, let's deal with the excuses. Oh, somebody will say, but Jesus also didn't do certain miracles. He could not do certain miracles. So who are you not to do? So yes, let's deal with these areas in which the Christ never did or could not do miracles. So we understand them. And when we understand them, we say, okay, this could be a hindrance, that could be a hindrance, but besides that, then there is no reason why we would have an excuse. We are supposed to be without excuse, all right? But that does not take away the reality of certain principles that are underlying in the way God operates. And Christ, through that, demonstrated these things to us, okay? Now, let's begin with the first experience in Scripture, and that will be in Mark chapter 6. When we begin from verse 1, Jesus goes into his own country, when he goes to his own country, his own disciples go with him. And when the Sabbath day was come, the Bible says he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? All right? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? People were astounded, they were astonished, they were amazed, because he's speaking amazing stuff, all right? And the Bible says that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands, okay? The testimonies that are being heard as this man is speaking, all right? And I believe they had heard about him as well, and now he's speaking, is before their eyes, he's speaking, all right? And the Bible says in the verse 3, okay, he says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Jose and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters? here with us. And the Bible says they were offended at Christ. You might ask yourself, why offense came? People are funny, but they were offended. They were offended. And the verse 4 says, and Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. His country, kin, and house. I want you to note that country, kin, and house. His nation, all right, his relatives, and in his own household, all right? And the Bible says, and there he could do no mighty work, save that he laid hands upon a few sick folk, all right, and healed them. In fact, there's a version I read once that sort of says he healed a few simple illnesses, all right, a few minor illnesses, okay? And the Bible says, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he rent about the villages, teaching Jesus was marveled at their unbelief, okay? And in this instance, 
we see unbelief because of familiarity, right? Because of familiarity. They were familiar, right? Now, the familiar spirit that sat on them created offense in their hearts. What was the offense? That the guy doing it is a carpenter. He's a son of Joseph. We know his mother. These are normal people, right? We know his brothers, James and Joseph. We know the sisters. They're all here. How can this guy speak all this kind of wisdom? As strange as that might sound, you might ask, what's the problem? And I'll explain the problem. Familiar spirits create offense and jealousies. They create indifferences in the people on whom they sit on that for us to judge this, we are looking outside the country of the prophet, the king of the prophet, and the household of the prophet. That does not mean that if you were in the country of the prophet, in the king of the prophet, and the house of the prophet, you would know better. No, it's not necessarily true that it's obvious that you would know better now that you know the story. Because the way familiar spirits, you know, work and function in our lives, they are so hidden in people's lives that it takes a certain grade and degree of wisdom and revelation for somebody to identify it. And many Christians are working under the influence of familiarity, familiar spirits, right? Why? Because they connect to the things that appeal to our reason. They connect to the things that appeal to our acquaintances. They connect to the things that appeal to our rightness. All right? They connect to the things that appeal to what's obvious to us. They connect to the things that appeal to the things that justify us above others. All right? What was their problem? What was their problem? That this fellow being a carpenter, the family comes from the people that he relates with. It is not expected that this wisdom, this glory, this anointing, these works are coming through him. And because of that, the Bible says these familiar spirits came upon these people to give unbelief. Unbelief, right? The end of those familiar spirits, the intention of those familiar spirits was to create unbelief in the hearts of the people that were surrounding this man. And in his own country, in his own people, kindred, and his own house, he was without honor. He could not do mighty works, great signs, miracles. Jesus was frustrated. Jesus was frustrated, right? So the underlying problem here was their unbelief. And the mother of this unbelief was the spirit of familiarity, okay? Familiarity. Do you know how many men of God have mantles in their own household? They cannot recognize those mantles in their own household, yet they can easily take note of an anointing outside their own household. Do you know how many people have anointings in their own kin, have anointings in their own country, but it's so hard for them to identify that in their own, but it is easy for them to see something without, because that is the operation of a familiar spirit. It's the operation of a familiar spirit, all right? I read of a general somewhere once in uh, Sweden, Louis Petrus. I read about him, a wonderful minister of the gospel, one of the guys that led great movements uh, in Europe. And, you know, stories said of him that he struggled to identify the giftings with his own biological children, all right? I'm not saying that we should go about to approve and qualify our own biological children because they are our children as men of God. I've also seen some men of God do that, where they think that because they're a pastor, therefore their son has to be a pastor or their daughter has to be a pastor. And then they have approved these children and placed them in ministries without proving them and being qualified and letting them run and pay their dues, okay? And because of that, some of these children cannot extend, they cannot carry, they cannot work, they cannot do even a fraction of what they have found existent. And some of them even take ministry for granted because they're not pioneers of great moves. So we don't even give our children the opportunity and create the atmosphere for their training because we think that it's obvious that because our children come to church and we are men of God, therefore they are learning God. No, I have helped many people pastors, kids of drugs and many other things, great, great ministers of the gospel, their own households are failing. And we pray as men of God that may God give us wisdom to know and identify our responsibility even to our own households, all right? Jesse could not identify 
that David was the anointed one, that even when the prophet Samuel comes to pour oil on the boys, Samuel is trying to guess, all right? And Jesse, in his head, he has an idea of who he thinks, but in all that he thinks, David is not among them, that they have to remind them, oh, oh, isn't there another boy who's not here? Oh, okay, I know one, but it was never in the head of Jesse that this was the boy with the oil, all right? That's what the familiar spirit does. That means it was possible for David to be used of God mightily and do miracles for Israel and not bless his own father because his father carried a familiar spirit and in that familiarity was disbelief. We have seen it, all right? So I tell people, when you connect with people and you realize that God, by his grace, gives you wisdom to identify the anointed among your own country, the anointed among your own kin, the anointed among your own household, it takes great grace not to wear a familiar spirit, not to unbelieve because you know how they eat, you know how they sleep, you know how they live, you know their character, they are good and they are bad, you know who they are, you know how they are this way and how they they react this way and then you can actually draw your own conclusion about people, women and men of God alike to say, oh, I don't think this one can do this. I don't think that one can do it. I remember one time a relative of mine visited our home back in the day when I was living with my father. And this lady, she was coming from a far place and then she said she's come to go to a certain man of God to pray for her because she had on radio of somebody testifying that this person prays for people to conceive right? And then they have children. And I remember during that time, I told her, but I can pray for you and you have children, okay? And she looked at me and she laughs hard, ha, ha, ha. I said, no, you're still a boy, okay? And interestingly, during that time, I had actually prayed for a couple of people to conceive and they had conceived, but I had not presented my resume, all right? And so when I heard that, I was almost prompted to, you know, present my resume. And then the Spirit of the Lord forbade me, said, she can never receive this from you. Right? And yes, she lived with us for a day, and then the next day she has an appointment with that great man of God. And I remember very vividly, she was walking out of that house going for that prayer, and the Spirit of the Lord told me, this is not how I open wombs. I will not open this one this way, because she lost the blessing. It was available right there. And sometimes God is so near to us that we miss him through the familiar things. I've said that before, okay? That one time I was in prayer and I was praying for certain individuals and the Spirit of the Lord said something so remarkable, I'll never forget. He said that I got lost in what was familiar to them. I became so familiar to them and I got lost to what was familiar to them that they are thinking in their heads that they can find me in some other spectacular facet. And God told me, they'll never find me because they left me in the familiar, all right? They will never find me because they left me in the familiar. There are many people who have left God in the familiar things, and they're trying to seek him in spectacular things that are so elevated beyond their own grasping, or some are even so inferior that they cannot discern the inferiority of those things because they move by sight and not by faith. They are so, like uh, my man of God taught me, he always taught me to separate the spectacular with the supernatural. He told me that as a Christian, as you mature in the spirit, you learn to connect to the supernatural within than the spectacular without. And I'm not saying that I'm against the spectacular stuff that are without, but the spectacular, the things that are seen are brought about by things which are not seen. And in the realm of the unseen is the supernatural operation of divinity. God has to give you the wisdom to know how to possess yourself in wisdom and understanding touching the supernatural things because it's easy to lose God in the very familiar things. And then you start to hunger and thirst for what you might call a deeper level of knowledge, a deeper level of anointing, a deeper level of revelation. And I have seen that some have sought the deeper knowledge, the deep understanding, the deeper level. And over the years, they started to slip off the path. They started falling off the faith. You know, the things they could do back in the day spiritually, they cannot do. Their effect starts to die out. Their brooks start drying. You know, their influence, you know, starts to decimate. And before you know that, you look at this individual after five, six, ten years, and they look fallen they look beaten, they look oppressed, they look poor, they did not move an inch, but they might even at that level still assume that they are deeper 
they are, you know, wealthier in the spirit, that they carry a deeper understanding of the things of the spirit. But when you examine them, they don't carry the manifestations. They don't carry the results, okay? And then we start to look at the people who sort of seem like they know less. They're inferior to our wisdom. They're inferior to our theological degrees and PhDs and doctorates. They're inferior to our exposures. They're inferior to our exegesis. They're inferior to our articulation. They're inferior to our degrees of prayer. They're inferior to our levels of depth in revelation. And they're producing stuff in the physical realm that you, deep one, cannot produce. And that is feigned faith. Okay? That degree of deception is so hard to redeem because to be deceived and to know you're deceived is one thing, but to be deceived and not to know that you are deceived is another. And such people go through the ranks of life like that, and before they know that their life has passed away, they're 50, they're 60, and there's nothing they can show about it. I always tell people, never take for granted a person who can translate even the simplest conviction of the Spirit to manifestation. You don't. Doesn't matter how much you claim to know in the spirit, if you cannot translate that in the physical sense, hush and learn. Hold your mouth and learn. Because not all teachings are spoken, all right? Teachings. Not all teachings are one dimensional, all right? That's why the disciples of Jesus Christ find a man casting out devils and they forbid him. It's a familiar spirit on them. If we find a man casting out devils, we forbid him because he followeth not us. Mark said he followeth not us. He didn't follow us. So where could he have learned this? How could he have had this? Of course, it's in the disciples to assume that they should be knowing better. They should be more anointed. They should be more exposed to the things of the Spirit. All right. And yet they have experiences where they themselves could try to cast out devils and they could not. But they find a guy who is doing it. He's not in their camp. He's not in their ranks. He's not familiar. He's in serve with them. And so they are thinking, huh, oh, Jesus tells them, you know what? If he's not against us, it's for us. But he leaves them there. And I tell people, mark the things Jesus makes statements about in Scripture. Doesn't take time to explain them and then moves off, most especially when he's with his disciples. He's saying, look, I could go here, but none of you even understands that. Let me leave it for the person one day who can pick this thing and pick the deeper meaning thereof. And such experiences are in Scripture. I hope I'll have time even today probably to give you an example. All right? So we see that the Christ could not do because he was familiar, right? And I tell people, if you understand this, all right, you learn to pray that God open my eyes, open my understanding, open my heart, all right, to know the oil around me, to know the anointed among me, to know the anointed in my household, to know the anointed in my kin, to know the anointed in my country, and to know how to relate, to connect that nothing will ever bypass me if it is on somebody and you know that I need it. Because some people, it's not that they don't have miracles or cannot access miracles. It's just that the miraculous, the entities, the sources God wants to use for them are so near them, so acquainted to them, laugh with them, speak with them, play with them. They are so near that they get so blinded to the reality of God's presence and love and intention for having deliberated that these people that God has anointed would be so near them. I know women, if they are the ones who had mothered Jesus, they would not be born again. There are women I know in my life now, that if they are the ones who had mothered Jesus Christ, they would not be born again by reason of the fact that they will still see themselves forever as Jesus' mother, okay? But when you read the scriptures, Mary humbled herself at the authority of the life of Christ. She referred to Christ as my Lord. This is the mother of Jesus Christ. But she worshipped him. She knew that this was no average person. You understand? That's what familiarity does. That's what familiarity does. So to know and have the wisdom to understand it and say, okay, this is how, this is the way I need to deal with my own, to know, okay, in my own kin, the anointed in my own country, the anointed in my own household. If I have an anointed woman, an anointed man, anointed person in my house, how do I relate with them? Why are they my friends? Why is this person, this anointed, and they're connected to me? Why do I have their phone number? Why do I have their emails? How come I can actually talk to this person? And there are hundreds and hundreds of people who might want are probably even paying prices to get to this person, but I can easily have access to them. That is why many 
times you would see even in scripture God skipping the usual predictable Jew and then he finds an Ethiopian eunuch on his way and then he gives him a mighty experience if he has to get one man turn his terrestrial to terrestrial and he appears to that fellow dips him up the revelation of the Christ hits him and then you know it's done and then he skips the folk in Jerusalem he skips the folk in the epicenter of where the faith was supposed to be because God has no way to go around familiar spirits. If you have read of the story of the 1900 revivals in Topeka, Kansas City by Charles Parham, during that time there were rules in the United States of America that it could not allow blacks to congregate and worship with the whites, all right? And you know, in all sense, I'm not saying that the church was racist, okay? But the system of government then was, and what do we see? The preachers of that time are forced, okay, to obey the rules of the government. We see Charles Parham with white boys in a room praying for revival in America. And indeed, the fires start catching. And then we see this black man who used to sit on the stairs outside the meetings of Charles Parham because he was not allowed to come in, William Seymour. And what happens in history? The story is told that God went over the heads of these boys and went outside and anointed this black fellow who used to receive the message on those cold stairs even during winter because Proximity is not access. What happened with this? Because of the racial divide, familiarity had been created. And need I not to add that unfortunately, part of the racism that we've read in human history has also been sort of um, attached to the church because some people used scripture to even further segregate fellow human beings and may God help us on that. So we see that familiarity caused unbelief and people could not receive God's message. The second time we see that happen, it's in Mark chapter 8, verses 10. A story is told, the Bible says uh, Jesus has already done uh, great things. He has fed a couple of thousands of people in Decapolis. And then we see, the Bible says, he goes straight away with his disciples. And then he comes into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Bible says in the 11th verse, the Pharisees came forth and began to question him. Remember, he has just fed thousands, all right? Later on, he comes in Dalmanutha. The Pharisees come to him, the Sadducees, and they began to question him, with him, seeking of a sign from heaven, tempting him, okay? And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Okay, verily I say unto you, there shall be no sign given unto this generation. And the Bible says, and he left them, entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. He just left them and went away. Jesus did not do a miracle to prove his deity, to prove that he's a man of God, to prove that he is a son of God. There, he refused to do the sign, all right? And he said, you shall receive no sign, okay? Now, let me express and explain that very clearly. It's not the first time we see that Christ refuse to do a miracle to prove himself, okay? If you remember the testations in the wilderness, the scripture tells us, Satan comes to him and says, if you be a son of God, God command this stone that it be turned into bread. Jesus did not turn that stone into bread, but on the rather he counterattacks Satan and tells him, No, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus refused to do a miracle to prove himself as a son of God. Okay? We also see an instance here where the Pharisees come. He has just fed thousands in the couple and in, in Dalmanutha, they're saying, look, give us a sign to show that you're from heaven. All right? And what did Jesus do? He said, you shall receive no sign. And then he moves away. Because it's not in the nature of the Christ to do a miracle to prove that he is Christ. Miracles are not done to prove that he is Christ. Miracles follow the proof of the Christ. The proof of the Christ is not in the doing of miracles, all right? And that is why I want to extend that also to men of God who have exercised themselves in tendencies of doing miracles to prove that they are men of God. Father, for once and all, I've seen some men of God do that. Prove to these people that I'm a prophet, that I'm an apostle, that I'm a man of God, that I'm a pastor, and then a miracle happens. Oh my God, this is proof that he's a man of God. No, it's never and has never been the proof that you are a man of God because you've done a miracle, because you've prophesied something and has come to pass. Psychics do that. Fortune tellers do that. That is not what approves you as a man of God. In fact, if you want to understand this, 
see Jesus' emphasis. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's Luke chapter 4. But let's now come back to this instance and give it. One time we see a similar issue where the Christ is prompted, okay, in the Gospels, and they're seeking a sign. And he says, no, you shall not receive any sign except the sign of Jonah, right? And he's saying that the sign that proves my person as a son of God goes so deep in the prophetic utterance of the words of God. The word, the words, the rhema, the logos of God defines the man of God and defines the Christ. Not the miracles, not the signs, not the wonders. That is why when he gets into the unbelievers later in the Gospels, you see him telling them, look, if you will not believe me, for the words that I speak, at least believe me, for the signs, miracles, and wonders, all right? So you see, the miracles are secondary. Most importantly, he emphasizes the believing him with the word, okay? Believe the word. If you can't believe the word, okay, believe the signs, miracles, and wonders, all right? In other words, even without signs, miracles, and wonders, God has not sent primarily, okay, the foundation of the faith, the Christian faith, on the foundation of signs, miracles, and wonders. Even though they are important and they follow them that believe, they are secondary and we must emphasize them because they are needed for some people to believe or that we lose people because we don't have the miraculous operation of the Spirit. But primarily to God, the Word is important. We prove men and women of God by what comes out of their spirits concerning the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. But how many people actually understand this. Many people look at a man of God. When a lame man walks, oh my God, this is a man of God. When a blind eye opens, oh my God, this is a man of God. When miracle signs and one, oh my God, this is a man of God. When a prophecy comes to pass, oh my God, this is a man of God. That's not how you tell a man of God. You tell a man of God by his understanding in the mystery of Christ, by his knowledge in the dimensions of Christ, by his or her revelation in the ways of the Spirit of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. Because why wouldn't Jesus do to prove himself? Because he was not for his agenda. He came to reveal the Father. So there was no point in him giving a sign to justify him. In fact, at times he did miracles and he tells the men, tell nobody about it. Because it was not about him being voiced. Yes, consequently his name was voiced. But his intention was not the voicing of his name. His intention was to bring many sons to glory right? The bigger picture, that all men be saved and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. He was pointing to the Father, all right? He was pointing to the will and way of the Father. So we see Jesus could not do a miracle even in that instance because they were provoking him to prove himself as a man of God. And I tell men of God, ministers of God, if somebody questions your place as a man or a woman of God, when they have not had you, give them the opportunity to hear you if they care to hear. If they don't care to hear, don't waste your time. But if they care to hear and still doubt you and now want to push you to a place of demonstrating power and doing a miracle to prove it, then you're wasting your time. If they cannot understand your doctrine, they cannot believe the miraculous on you. Or if they believe the miraculous on you without understanding your doctrine, then I want you to know that much as that they are appealed to your circles to believe in what you're doing, they are not connected to God because that's not how God draws men. All right? That's another time the Christ could not do a sign, could not do a miracle. And the third time we see towards uh, Christ's end at the cross, Mark chapter 15, the 25th verse, the Bible says it was the third hour they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two thieves, the one on the right and the other on the left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And the Bible says, they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that distressed the temple, and build a state in three days, serve thyself, right? And come down from the cross. Likewise also, the chief priests mocking him said among themselves with the scribes, he served others. Himself, he cannot serve, all right? He cannot serve himself. Let 
Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Now imagine that kind of experience. The Son of God is purchasing eternal salvation. He's wounded for their transgressions. He's bruised for their iniquities. He has laid down his life as a sacrifice, the ultimate expression of God's love in its most purest form. He's on the cross. And these Pharisees are saying, okay, you have served others. Serve yourself also. If you want us to believe now, whatever you've been telling us, come off that cross now. Come off that cross. We will believe you. Imagine. We will believe you. And you might find that in their ignorance and darkness, they were honest and sincere. You know, some people don't know that some people are sincerely and honestly ignorant and dark, okay? They cannot help themselves. But you see a man, okay, heal, do a miracle, and we shall prove that you're the son of God. He has refused to show them a sign, all right? Now, he's on the cross, okay? He's on the cross. Now, the first instance that I read for you in Mark 8, they were seeking for a sign, from heaven to prove that he was a son of God, all right? Now we see, and he's saying, no, we can only prove that through the word. If you have not believed the word, I have no other sign for you. You either believe God's prophets, the words that are spoken or, you know. Now we see Jesus Christ at the cross. Similar issue. This is now even worse. I see men. I don't know if God can open your eyes to see. You see the old, you see the young, you see them railing and raging against him. You see them, you know, probably speaking words that are insulting and provoking. And I can see that some of the disciples that are with him are all, you know, dumbfounded and their heads are down and they look like they have lost the battle. It is gone. The man they believed and the man for whom they left their nets and homes and families, they walked with him and celebrated him, elevated him in places and were ready to die for and with him. And now he's at the most weakest time in history and they're looking at him up on the cross and I see men scoffing and reviling, men that are accusing and attacking. Okay, save yourself. If you are to destroy the temple and build it in three days, which is a deep miracle, do it right now. Let us see you do that. Do it and we shall believe. And believe me, if Jesus had gone off that cross, certain men would have believed. But they would not have believed in the way God wanted them to believe. So we see the Christ not coming off that cross because he was fulfilling a bigger purpose. He was fulfilling a bigger purpose. If their eyes were open to what the Christ was trying to do on the cross, coming off that cross would have changed human history like we know it. But he endures the crosses unto death and is given a name above every name. That at the sound of that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord of glory of the Father. That Jesus, the Bible says, foreseeing the joy that should come, the Bible says he endured the cross. Okay? We can only succumb to not doing certain demonstrations and expressions of miracles, signs, and wonders because we have a far-reaching purpose that is bigger than the present contention, that is bigger than the present challengers, that is bigger than the present men that are railing and speaking against and saying, prove yourself, prove yourself. So I tell men, as you mature in God, when you see that certain things serve inferior purposes against the higher calling with which you have in Christ, the bigger calling in God, you'd rather not do that miracle. It's okay to be seen in that moment of weakness as one which is unable and then write something in human history that will leave a mark indelibly fixed that forever, I mean, who is the most popular man in human history? Jesus Christ. Do you remember the name of the Pharisees that were railing at him on that cross? No. Do we know the families from which they came from? No. Do we know their addresses and what positions they held in Israel during that time? No. But now the Bible says we see Jesus. We see Jesus. We see Jesus. And so he says, if there is things that touch divine purpose and they are going to work out a weightier glory, not lesser, a weightier glory, a greater story, a bigger testimony, then I would rather forego the moment of the challenge and do the bigger one to the glory of God. So those are the three major times we see the Christ shy away or hold back from demonstrating power, okay, from demonstrating power. Those are the three major ones, three major ones, all right? On the cross, because he was serving a bigger purpose, all right? In Dalmanutha, because he's telling them, if you cannot understand me by the words that I speak as a man of God, then no sign can express and 
proof to you that I'm really a man of God, that I'm really a minister of the Spirit, that I'm a son of God. And I pray somebody understands, especially the second point, especially the second point. Some of us need to understand this Mark 8 very keenly because as you grow in the things of the Spirit and the ways of God, you will realize that many ministers err here. They don't know the things that prove them and are approved of them. He says, study the word to show yourself approved a worker. Study. What approves us is our revelation of Christ. All right? So, the three, like I said, serving a bigger purpose on the cross. They're refusing to show a sign because they should believe him by the word and familiarity. Those are the three times we see the Christ refusing to do miracles. And in there, there are teachings for the church, okay, for us to understand, like Romans 1.20, that now we are without excuse because these expressions have been fully accounted to us by God. He's saying this, Christ went through familiarity, all right, know how not to be familiar or how to house familiar spirits in you. Uh, Christ insisted more on the message to precede the demonstration of power, always raise your heart in that. That is why when his own could not believe him, the Bible says he went in the city's teaching because he knew the problem was teaching, all right? And when you are serving a bigger purpose than the inferior demand for you to perform, okay, you choose the higher calling. That we have learned, okay? And now that we know that, okay, we're without excuse. that You should not fall short of doing the miraculous, working in the miraculous because of familiar spirits and all these other things that I've spoken, all right? And if you're the kind who probably has been struggling in that area, tonight God has helped you. You're free, all right? You're free. You don't have excuse not to live and walk in the miraculous. Father, we thank you for your word. For the entrance of your word brings light, it giveth understanding, and tonight a lot has been said. And for the lovers of the word, I believe that this word has hit home. I feel that people are getting it. They are understanding it as you propel and elevate the church to the glory that you have called her to be in this world of darkness, to shine as a light and to change lives and bring many sons to glory. And this we will do by your grace in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We pray for the sick right now. Be healed in the name of Jesus. For them that are tormented by the devils, be delivered in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for your finances, your health, your marriage, your career, your dreams, your aspirations, your ministry. May God elevate and work through you and for you more than ever before. And I believe that miracles, signs, and wonders are happening this very moment. For he sent his word and healed our disease. All right. Thank you, Lord, because you sent a word in Jacob and it lit the whole of Israel. We thank you because your word is having effect in our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, and everything that touches us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And if you're not born again, you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you a great opportunity, an invitation to this chariot. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you were there with me listening right now, I want you to pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, today I have heard your word. I have believed it. And now, in the name, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again in that name, the name of Jesus. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.